be opening your Bibles to John 19. John 19. We will pick up where Paul left off last Sunday, looking at the trials of Jesus that he went through. I can get all my ducks in a row here. And just a a quick review, since uh, as we begin chapter 19, we're actually jumping into the middle of the series of trials that uh, Paul uh, taught about uh, the, the previous Sundays. And so we're sort of jumping right in the middle of, of that series of trials and, and continuing on. So just as a, a quick review from chapter 18 uh, uh, concerning the trials. First, there was the trial before Annas the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. And that was the preliminary hearing in the night after he was seized in the garden. Then there was the appearance before Caiaphas, the high priest. And this was for a partial uh, illegal meeting of the Sanhedrin for a formal charge and sentencing Actually, this was two times, late at night and then again early in the morning. Then there was the appearance the, before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And this was to persuade Pilate for the death penalty of Jesus. And then next, uh, according to the other gospel accounts, there was a meeting, a brief meeting before Herod. Uh, this is not mentioned in John. Luke is the one who mentions this meeting. Uh, it was just happenstance since he happened to be in Jerusalem at this time and Pilate knew him. But then after that, he was uh, returned again back to Pontius Pilate. And at this point, he takes custody of Jesus and begins to question Jesus about his claims and the charges brought against him. And really, he attempts to set Jesus free. And he starts off with the custom of uh, setting a person, a prisoner, free at Passover. This was a, a custom. He set forth uh, Barabbas, a robber, and Jesus, uh, knowing that surely they would uh, choose Jesus over a robber. But then that fails, and so Pilate uh, tries another tactic uh, to release Jesus, and that begins in chapter 19, that of scourging. So with that brief uh, review, reminder of the previous trials, uh, that brings us to chapter 19, and really the chapter uh, divides itself uh, pretty naturally into three sections. Uh, first, there is the, the conclusion of Jesus' appearance before Pilate in verses 1 through 16. 
And second, there is the crucifixion of Jesus, verses 17 through 30. And then there is the death and burial of Jesus in verses 31 to the end of the chapter in verse 42. We're going to take our time through this section because chapters 19 and 20 gives us a detailed account of the gospel. It goes into detail all of the gospel accounts about the death on the cross, the burial of Jesus, and his resurrection. This is Christianity. This is the crux of the matter. This is what makes it all possible. So we're going to take our time. Uh, I am through 19, and I think we should also in, in chapter 20. Not get in a rush. We need to understand the gospel as it unfolds before us. And we'll be looking at John's account. So uh, with that, uh, let's go ahead and get into chapter 19. The first uh, will be the conclusion of Jesus' appearance before Pilate. So listen as I read and follow along with me verses uh, 1 through 16. Then we'll go back verse by verse. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power of all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. 
Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Quite a reading, quite sobering, isn't it? Let's go back to verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. We're not going to go into a, a great detail of scourging. We, we've heard that description before. It wasn't just an ordinary cattle whip that was used, but it was like a cat of, uh, what is it? Cat of? Somebody finish it. Yeah, tails. Yeah. Anyway, it was a device that was so constructed with uh, bits of material tied to the ends that was designed to open the flesh, to open up wounds, and to produce uh, great uh, harm and disfigurement. That was scourging. That was a Roman scourging. And that's what Jesus endured. Actually, this uh, order by Pilate for Jesus to be scourged was an effort uh, by him to substitute a lighter penalty for that of death. From the beginning to the end, Pilate, representing the Roman government and Roman law, did not see any evidence that would demand a death penalty. He, he found no fault in him. So maybe in Pilate's mind he was saying, well, if I just put him through scourging and then the mockery that will follow by, at the hand of the soldiers, surely uh, this would be enough for them to be satisfied and drop this demand for his execution. But his tactic failed. And it seems like the taste of blood only intensified the demand of the Jews to put Jesus to death. And thus, Pilate fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that we're familiar with in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And so Jesus was scourged. Prophecy was fulfilled. Verses 2 and 3. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Mockery. Just plain out mockery. Uh, this was a, a very cruel mockery. Some of the uh, information that I consulted in preparation for this mentioned the fact that 
uh, when the Romans crucified somebody that they stripped them naked. They didn't just take off the upper garment. Uh, so if this is true, Jesus was naked as he was being crucified. And then maybe just uh, one of the garments that was used by, by the soldiers themselves in ordin ordinarily uh, daily wear, they put this uh, purple robe, purple symbolizing royalty, and they got a, a, some thorn branches and wove it into a, a crown and put it. And so when Jesus came out, he was wearing the robe. Blood was coming down and the crown of thorns. Mockery. Cruel mockery. And so we hold the soldiers in contempt. They were pagans. They, they were Roman soldiers just carrying out their duty and having some fun along the way. But think about it. This mockery of Jesus by the soldier was cruel, but no more than that of the high priest just hours before and the others. When it says, uh, according to Matthew 26, they spat in his face when Jesus came before the Sanhedrin in the nighttime. They spat. Can you get any more insulting and humiliating than that? Even today, for somebody to spit on you. And this is the high priest, the leader of the Jewish people spat in his face and they beat him and others joined in and struck him with the palms of their hands. By the way, uh, several references will go back to Matthew. Uh, really the account of uh, the, especially the crucifixion, uh, very little detail is given by John in comparison to the other gospel accounts which is interesting because uh, evidently John was the only one of the apostles to be near the cross, to be under the cross at the crucifixion. Perhaps others were on the fringes. Peter just recently having realized what he had done. Maybe he was on the outskirts. But John, who was the one there right under the cross along with Jesus' mother and the other women, gives the least amount of detail than the others. Just a side note. But by far, the high priest of God over the nation of Israel, so mocking Jesus trumps any mockery by the soldiers. Probably so. Yeah, it's open to speculation, but uh, you know they, they certainly have been disillusioned at this point in their earthly way of thinking that things were going awry, not according to logic in their minds of what was going to happen, so maybe so. But John was there. And then in verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. 
And so again, Pilate confronting the Jewish leaders, I think exemplifies or exhibits his determination to release Jesus. Uh, he found no fault in him. He was trying to release this innocent man in his mind. In verse 5, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. That's what he had on. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Uh, again, speculation enters in, and we can try to read between the lines here and imagine exactly what all Pilate meant by, by saying, Behold the man. Um, maybe it, it seems Pilate... Uh, is saying, has he not suffered enough already? Look at him. He's pitiful. He's broken. Hasn't he received enough punishment already? Is it really necessary to inflict any more uh, punishment upon him? And it seems that uh, maybe this was his idea of saying, behold the man, look at him. Come on. But then in verse 6, Therefore when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. So again, Pilate tries one last time to release Jesus and to be rid of any personal responsibility uh, in Jesus' faith. He said, you crucify him. I don't find any fault in him. I have questioned him. I've interrogated him. I've not seen any evidence yet that would justify under our law that he be put to death. You want to crucify him, then you do it. Uh, just a, a note of reminder here, something that I think we all understand that action in criminal cases was subject to Pilate being the ruling Roman governor because Rome had already divested the Jewish Sanhedrin of the authority to inflict capital punishment. Roman Empire. Rome is the true government. They allow a, a little bit of autonomy and freedom for the Jews to carry out their religion, but not the authority to execute a man. And so this is why they are bringing him. And so here he is saying, uh, I don't find any fault in him. You want to crucify him, you crucify him. Well, they're crying out for him to be crucified. Now, if they had the authority, as in former days, as a Sanhedrin, to carry out uh, capital punishment, and already they have, uh, under oath, had Jesus to proclaim that he was the Son of God, and they said, okay, we don't need any anymore. That's the evidence. He's blaspheming. And the uh, 
penalty for blasphemy was what? Death. And death by what means? Stoning. So they couldn't even crucify him even if they had the authority. Of course, this is by prophecy, Jesus himself, that his death would be by crucifixion. But otherwise, just in the normal course of of, uh, things happening, uh, even if they were given the authority to carry out the execution themselves, uh, maybe Pilate knew that that, uh, he could say that, knowing that they would not do it. But it would be death by stoning. They would have already done it. But another thing that uh, here in verse 6 I think is is interesting and that is to this point the Jews had not revealed to Pilate their true reason for demanding Jesus' death. Uh, I had not thought so much about this before except uh, when preparing for this lesson it just uh, occurred to me again uh, that just a few hours before was a sentence. The charge was blasphemy. The sentence, death, by the Jewish San- Sanhedrin. So why didn't they just begin with Pilate by saying, this man is making himself out to be the son of God. Uh, in our law, that's blasphemy. He's not the son of God. And so he needs to be put to death. Why didn't they instead of going all this other round, uh, do that. Bring the real charge before Pilate. Everything thus far in their dealing with Pilate and trying to get him to render death execution, death sentence on Jesus, has failed. They've not gotten it from Pilate because no legal reason for Jesus' death has surfaced so far. And so again, the actual charge against Jesus was blasphemy with a sentence of death. So why has it wait, have they waited this long? Again, uh, trying to read between the lines and, and speculation, but in my mind, perhaps because deep in their hearts they knew that Christ's testimony, remember it was under oath as he stood before the Sanhedrin. So under oath, Jesus has said, I am the Son of God. Maybe in deep in their hearts, they knew that Christ's testimony under oath, that he was Christ, the Son of God, was in fact the truth of God. And one reason why I say that is because notice the words of Nicodemus. Back in John chapter 3, the first two verses, when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, John 3, beginning with verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, member of the Sanhedrin. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now the we there, it could just refer to the people in general, 
Or it could very well have referred to the Sanhedrin of which he was a member. There were believers within the Sanhedrin, as we'll find out a little bit later on at the burial. Nicodemus wasn't the only one. How could a person with an open and sincere heart witness for three years Jesus in his work in the area of Palestine, Galilee, Judea, Samaria, and all of the goodness that he exhibited, healing, bringing good to people. How could you not in your heart of hearts say that, like Nicodemus, we know you are sent from God? I don't know, to me, that, that makes some sense that perhaps uh, this, this was why. They dreaded maybe swearing in open court that Jesus' claims were false. I think they feared that uh, if it became openly acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God, then people would believe and their place would be lost. It comes down to pride, to power. And it would all be lost if, if we just sit back and let the people observe and draw their conclusion that this indeed is the Messiah. I think that is maybe the reason. And so, as a last resort, finally, we see the Jews bring in the religious charge in addition to the civil. And they said, okay, we have a law. And that law says that a blasphemer, one who makes himself to be God, must die. We have a law. So all of Satan's efforts to get Jesus crucified for sedition as a Troublemaker has failed. And this verse gives the technical charge upon which Jesus was crucified. His sworn testimony was the truth. For he was indeed the Son of God. But the Jewish law to which the priest appealed made it a capital offense for one to claim to be the divine Messiah. Uh, that's found in Leviticus chapter 24 in verse 16. And there, uh, verse 16 of Leviticus 24, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregations shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land, when he blasphemes uh, themes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. And so this is the last resort. They've got to bring forth now the, the true motive for wanting to put Jesus to death. He claims he's the son of God. And according to our law, anybody, of course he's not, and so that means blasphemy. He is blaspheming the name of God by claiming to be the Son of God. He has to be put to death. 
So then verse 8. Therefore when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, implying that already he was fearful of how this thing was unfolding. And when he heard this from the Jews that he is claiming to be the Son of God, he was even more afraid. And he had many fears. If you look at Pilate in this situation and the other scriptures, uh, Pilate, uh, he feared his relationship with Herod. He wanted to appease Herod since he was in Jerusalem by the courtesy of sending Jesus to him, maybe just to get it off of his hands, but otherwise a courtesy. He feared for his reputation with the emperor, Caesar. At this time it was Tiberius. He was fearful of violence outbreaking in his city that he was in charge of. He was fearful because of the implications of his wife's dream. And you remember that as recorded in Matthew 27, which says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And Pilate certainly was fearful of, of that. And he was fearful of the mystical. He was not a believer in Christ. He was a Roman pagan. But he was aware of the gods at the time, the Roman gods, the Greek gods. And some of those, uh, there was indication or writings that some of them would actually come down and mix and mingle among the people. Pilate may have been thinking, what if, what if this is one of our gods here among us? Maybe incognito. I'm about to crucify maybe one of our gods. He had many fears. He was a pitiful man, really, in, in many ways. Larry had other, I've read, it seems like some of the apologetic press materials, that other people had claimed to be Christ. That's true, too. Right, it's a good point. And so other people had evidently been stoned for claiming to be the Christ, but they knew this, this was. Yeah. Right. And can you imagine the creator standing there being spit upon? No, I can't imagine. And the restraint, yeah. but, but he was a man. Mm-hmm. Taking that, and he was God at the same time. Yeah. And we feel so mistreated sometimes, don't we? And I think about being spit upon like that. Yeah. How many times, maybe figuratively, do we spit upon Jesus? Calls for deep thinking, prayer. Taking his name in vain. Yeah. This is wrong. 
it says it's 17 after, but I still got some time. Well, this brings us to verses, uh, to verse 9. And really from uh, verse 9 through verse 14, uh, this section of scripture is only recorded by John, not found in the other accounts. Verse 9, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, that is Pilate, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Uh, Jesus had already told Pilate who he was, and he had not believed, so he's silent. And in his silence, he does answer Pilate. Uh, it thunders, his silence just thunders. And so look at verse 10. Pilate is just coming apart here. Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? You mean, I am the governor here. I am the government of almighty Rome. And I've asked you a question. And you just stand there in silence? Who do you think you are? You're not speaking to me. Don't you know that I have power to crucify you or to release you? Well, he was outraged at Jesus' silence. It was an insult to him and his power and authority. And such a misjudgment of his power by Pilate, I guess at this point, did deserve a reply from Jesus. And he promptly delivers it in the next verse, verse 11. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above, therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Jesus here answers Pilate. And really he is pointing to a doctrine that uh, is later uh, or, uh, explained in much more detail by Paul in Romans chapter 13. We're familiar with that section of scripture, verses 1 through 7. <coughs> Uh, let's, let's just go there real quick and, and read that. And I think it will give a backdrop to seeing what Jesus has just responded here with. Romans 13, beginning with verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now verse 5. Therefore you must be subject 
not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This might be a good place to just stop and ponder, and Lord willing, when we come back next Sunday, we can pick up there. But here is something indeed for Christians to consider. Isn't it amazing that in God's wisdom, He chose the time that He did for Christ to come into the world? Roman Empire, Roman law, everything that went against God. A lot of good things came out of it, but a lot of things that, of course, was against God. But there is a certain attitude and acknowledgement that Christians today must make relative to our position. We're Christians first and foremost. We are God. We carry out his commandments. But we live in worldly governments. Well, we'll pick it up there. Something to chew on between now and then. Thank you.